uh, really excited about that. So, you can be turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 13. We're going to cover two chapters tonight, Genesis 13 and 14. I titled this message, Developing, Developing Our Faith in God. And you'll understand why as we go through this. It's really about, you know, for each and every one of us, I assuming that you're all Christ followers, you've all given your life to Christ, but if there's somebody here who hasn't, then don't leave here tonight until you have given your life to Christ and you can begin this same journey. But all of us as Christ followers, we're on a journey. Think back to when you first gave your life to Jesus. So me, I have to think back 42 years ago. I mean, it's a long time to think back and think about all the different steps that you've gone through to where you're at now. If you can say, like, I haven't changed since I gave my life to Christ, uh, that's not the right answer. <laughs> I can just tell you, you want to be able to say, you know, I'm, I have a ways to go, but I'm not where I used to be. I've grown. And there's different things that God will do in allowing our lives to help our faith grow. Uh, I have some preliminary stuff before we are going to get into to Genesis 13. And uh, the first thing is, how is faith built in our lives? And as I study the scripture, I find that there's three main ways that faith is developed in our life. And you can see them on the screen here. Number one is the Word of God. That's why we teach the Bible. The Bible says in uh, Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing. And what? Hearing by the Word of God. Not hearing a great story, not hearing, you know, the latest thing on the news. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And let me just talk about that. When I'm reading the Bible, I hope you're like me, you're reading stories, impossible stories, and you're seeing how God worked. I mean, how could God part the Red Sea and people walk across in dry land? Or how could God, you know, raise Jesus up from the dead? You know, how could, how could Paul get stoned with rocks and then rise back up and go back into the city and preach? And I, and I hear all these different stories, and that makes my faith rise. God's no respecter of persons. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So my faith grows as I, I read about people just like me and this faith that they had and how God helped them through very difficult times. I'm so glad the Bible's not written about a bunch of perfect people, aren't you? In fact, there's only one person, perfect person in the Bible, and that's Jesus. Everybody else is pretty messed up. And so faith comes by the Word of God. Every time you're in there, you, you're, it's like spiritual food. You can grow. Next is, as we pray, we can build our faith. In fact, in Jude 20, it says, build your faith up, praying in the Holy Spirit. As we pray, our faith, because when we pray, we are acknowledging we need help. Am I right? So you're praying. If you, if you don't need any help, if you're, if you're self-sufficient, you do it all on your own. You don't pray. In fact, actually, a lack of prayer shows you got a problem because then you're depending on yourself. And so we pray because, and so as you do that, it's building your faith, your dependency on God. And the last thing is perseverance in trials. And I wrote the word discipline there because when you're persevering in trials and we all go through trials, it's the testing of our faith that will help develop uh, perseverance says. And so, you know, one verse that, you know, talks about that is 1 Peter 1, 7. And we all have trials, don't we? And you're going to see some trials in today's passage. 
Now, there's two types of trials. Let me just say this. One trial is because of your stupidity. Okay? Because you do dumb stuff, you're going to have trials and consequences for it. That's not the type of trial I'm talking about. Okay? I'm talking about when you're just doing everything right and you still have a trial taking place. That's life. And what God does is he allows those in our life as a form of discipline. It talks about that in Hebrews chapter 12. I think it talks about that we're being trained by those things. By the discipline of the Lord, we're being trained. And so going through trials is a natural part. Sometimes I hear people say, man, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm going through these trials. Well, I'm like, well, you're breathing. That's what's wrong. Because when we're going through a trial, it just means that we're going through life. And so God has his finger on the button. He knows how much we can handle, when to handle it, and so God allowing us because he wants us to develop our faith. And it's like this. If you're an athlete, you'll go to the gym, you'll work out, you'll, you'll break those muscles down to make them stronger, and as you do that, you are developing, but it, it, it goes through some... You, we used to have the old saying when I was playing football, no pain, no gain. You've heard that same one. So we go through the pain, so we would have gain. So... Those are some ways that we can grow spiritually, and, and uh, you'll hear some of that in the, in the story. Now, Dave Barnes got us into, uh, he did chapter 12 really great last week, but I want to go back to chapter 12, verse 1, and I have it on the screen, because it kind of starts off a little bit of this section. It said about Abram. Remember, it's before his name was called Abraham. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country your people and your father's household, to the land I will show you. Now, it's interesting about that verse. And I, I was thinking about this as I was preparing. I, 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 Barb might remember when I shared this verse because we were in Iowa. We were getting ready to move our family down to Florida. I was a leader in the church. I was an elder. I taught adult Sunday school. We had been in the same church for 10 years. And... Uh, I, we, we were praying for two years that God was going to move us to Florida. I didn't know where, but we just knew. We knew we knew that we were going to be moving, and that's a whole other story. But I remember when I announced it to the church that we were moving, I used that verse. Because I said, I feel kind of like Abraham. We're moving to a land we really don't know too much about. We did not know a single person in the whole state of Florida. And God called my wife and I to move here, move here to Brevard. We're still in the same house we moved to 23 years ago, and uh, we moved here with three kids. We didn't know what God was, why he was doing everything he's doing, but we just knew he was calling us here. And, you know, and, I, and I, I'm, sometimes I'm, I'm kind of amazed because you know, I, I thought I was coming down here because of nice weather. <laughs> God had a lot more things in store for me. I didn't know it at the time. But now, I want you to, can you put that, screen, that verse back up again? Put that verse back up again. Um, chapter 12, there we go. There's, there's three things that the Lord said to Abram. Number one, go from your country. Number two, your people and your father's household. Leave those people. And number three is, you don't just go from your country, you go to the land I will show you. Three things. Now, put the next slide up on the screen. We're going to see how well Abram did. Remember, he was just starting out in his faith journey. Let's say he was like a new believer at this point. Well, here they are. Number one, 
Leave your country, your people. And that was Ur, the Chaldeans. Did he do it? Yes, he did it. And he was 70 years old when he left. Number two, leave your people in your father's household. Did he do that? No. He actually left with his dad and his nephew, Lot. And you're going to see part of that in the story today. And number three, go to the land I will show you. Did he do that right away? No. He lived in Haran, which was about the halfway point. He actually went to a place, and he lived there for five years. And then later he went to, and Dave Barnes covered this last week, he, he got to the promised land, but he didn't stay put very long. Then he went to the Negev down in the desert area, and the next thing you know, he's in a drought, and then he goes down to Egypt. So how well do you think Abram did? Not too good, did he? One out of three. He needed GPS? Yeah, he needed more than that. But, but let me tell you, he's the father of the faith in the Old Testament. Does that make you feel better about yourself? <laughs> Makes me feel better. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to come back to this in, in a way and, and, uh, as we get started. But here's our first point, is that following Jesus, this brings it back to you and me, is a journey of learning to trust him more and more. It's the exact same thing that Abram had to do. He had to learn to trust God. He didn't fully trust him to start with. One out of three. And you're going to see as we go through what that's going to do and when he finally gets all three, what happens. So Genesis 13, verse 1. So Abram left, went, and he, or excuse me, so Abram went from Egypt. That's where we were at. He was at last week. Remember, he did the whole thing with, you know, his wife with his sister and so forth. Uh, he, he went from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him, so he still has Lot with him. Abram became very wealthy in livestock, in silver, and gold. And from the Negev, he went to the place until he came to Bethel. Whenever you see Bethel, what that means is house of God. Beth in Hebrew means house. El, like El Shaddai, Elohim is, is a word for God, so it's the house of God. So he went to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. So here, here we go. He's starting to get a little closer to obedience, okay? He's back in the promised land. He left Egypt. He left the Negev. He's back in the land of Canaan where, he, where God had called him to be at. And it says there, he called on the name of the Lord. We don't see any record that he was doing that in Egypt, do we? What was he doing in Egypt? He was kind of like operating in the logic. And see, what God was wanting to do is mold and shape this man into someone who could really be an example for us, and where the nation of Israel would come out of this man, Abram, and called Abraham, but he would have a long ways to go. He was still pretty much raw material at this point, and so that should give us all hope that we're raw material, and God's taking him and wanting us, and I think back on my life and the different steps that I've went through over my years, and I think how God had to like remove that and how I was disobedient in that, and and you, you heard my story probably uh, before Christmas when I talked about how I'd walked away from the ministry in Iowa, 13 years, I'd walked away from my calling. 
God knew I wasn't going to answer that in Iowa with the career I had and the company I had. He had to take me out of that to bring me to Florida to get me to a point to say yes back to the calling of God on his life. And it's just like God knew he couldn't do what he wanted to. And Abram, while he was in his homeland, so he had to take him out of there to put him into this special land. So here's the next thing I have up on the screen is our faith grows as we regularly call on the name of the Lord. And that's what you see Abram doing there, calling on the name of the Lord. How do we call on the name of the Lord? Just some real practical things. Uh, praise and worship, which is really showing gratitude and expressions of love. And I've started a new thing in, in my uh, personal devotions that every morning, I, I don't know about you, a lot of you guys are my age or older, uh, you can't sleep in anymore. You just wake up early. So I started a routine where I just get up and I, I make a walk through the neighborhood in the morning. I put worship music on and I just like have an extended time of prayer and worship just as I'm out walking. And it's all extra besides my quiet time where I have my Bible and my journal and so forth. And I just find it to be very refreshing. Just, But that's a way you can call on the Lord as you're just worshiping, expressing love and gratitude. Also, as we ask and listen for wisdom and direction, I, th- I really believe this, and I'll, I'll say this is probably one of my weaknesses, I don't do real good with just quietness. How about you? Seems like there's always got to have something on. And, and I know one thing is I just have to be more intentional about just being quiet before the Lord, letting Him speak. I know He's speaking, you know, let, hearing that still small voice. And he did that tonight when he told me, pray for people who are discouraged. Okay? And, and I just had quieted my heart in the back while I was worshiping. And, and, you know, I was just like, God had just made that very clear. Pray for people who are discouraged. So ask him, ask him for wisdom and direction. Intercession for others is another way we call on the Lord where we're praying for other people. Intercession just means that we're praying for others. And then confession and repentance of sin, such an important part of our, our time with God, that we keep a pure heart. And because we live in a world, it's real easy for us to sin, and we will all sin, but we want to quickly repent and get rid of it. And that comes through that confession and repentance time. So these are just some ways that we can call on the Lord. Let's keep going. Verse 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the uh, Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Now, remember, remember one of the three things that God had told Abram? to leave his family when he came to the promised land, the land he was going to show him. He didn't do that. He took Lot with him. This was not a good thing, was it? And actually, it caused problems, and you start to see the problems here. And one of the things I want us to always realize, when God tells us to do something, there's wisdom behind it. He knows what's best. And oftentimes we think, oh, you know, know, that isn't going to work as well. And it's like there's wisdom behind what God shares with us. I used to think in my early days when God would speak something like, is this just a test to see whether I'm going to obey or not? I've grown beyond that now. 
Now I realize it could be a test, but it's more than that. When he's telling us to do something, there's wisdom behind it. When he tells you not to do something, there's wisdom behind that. When he tells us to do something, there's wisdom behind that. And I know he knows better how to live our lives than we do. Why not listen to him? Why do we ever think that we are smarter than God? (laughs) Now, we wouldn't say that, would we? It sounds silly just to say smarter than God. But when we disobey, in some ways, that's really what we're saying. So I just want to encourage us. There is wisdom behind what he says. And he knew ahead of time that Lot was going to get kind of in trouble and it was going to be a problem. Verse 8 now. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine. For we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So here's, here's another thing related to the faith that Abram was learning. And this is actually a good lesson that he was learning here. And that faith knows God is in control of our future. Lot didn't have to come up with a plan like, let's see, where can I do best at? And so he had this total assurance that, you know what, God, you're going to take care of me. You've already promised me you're going to bless me and so forth. So whatever... Lot takes, I'll just do the opposite because his faith was not in his selection. His faith was in God taking care of his future. And I think it's an important thing for all of us in that sometimes we think, oh, you know, you know, if this happens or that happens, it's like, just trust God. He will take care of our future. So look what Lot does. We're going to see that he doesn't have the same level of faith. Lot looked around, verse 10, and saw the whole plain of the Jordan between Zor as well was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So he chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and pitched his tents, here's a key, near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Now we're going to begin to see something here in the area of how Lot was living. See, Abram was walking with the Lord. What was Lot doing? Lot was walking with Abram. He didn't have that same level of faith. And sometimes we have to be careful that we don't walk and live in the coattails of someone else's faith. Oftentimes I tell parents, like, when you got teenagers, your teenagers are maybe walking on your, in your coattails of your faith, they're following your faith, but at some point in time, it has to become their own faith. I know for all, all three of our kids, there was a time where they had to, like, move away from mom and dad's Christian faith for it to really become their own. And, and, and I've used this as an example with parents before, is you know when your kids have their own faith that if you stopped going to church, they would still keep going. For example, if your kids, if you stopped going to church and your kids said, oh, good, now we can stay home, we don't have to go to church, you know now they've been riding in on your coattails, Right? Now, real little kids, they don't understand. I don't believe they have that age accountability. But I'm talking about when you start to become teenagers. 
And there are plenty of teenagers that will come to church, go to youth group, even though the parents don't go to church. Then it's become their own. Sometime in that teenage years into the 20s, it has to shift from mom and dad's faith into their own. You need to pray for that. You need to to release your kids in, in those areas and so forth. You can't just control it and have it be all about you. This is also why we, Barbara and I have been believers in our kids going on mission trips without mom and dad going. Because we wanted them to develop spiritual experiences with God without mom and dad connected. And that was helpful for them because they, they started to see how God was moving in their life. They were seeing things that they had to pray through and work through, and especially on mission trips and retreats and so forth. And we weren't there. It was them and maybe a youth leader or them and God and, and, and so forth. So Lot didn't have that. So that's one of the things I see in that. And uh, we also see the compromise of Lot. Lot looked with his eyes. You don't see any, like, hearing from God and so forth. He's like, oh, this looks the best. I'm going there. And it was known that Sodom and Gomorrah, those cities were wicked. They were evil. It says that right there. But what did he do? He pitched his tent where? It says he pitched his tent near the city of of Sodom. See, this is going to start this whole area of potential compromise in his life. And so this is something that uh, caused him a a problem. As we move through this book of Genesis, you're going to see, in a moment, you're going to see him living in Sodom. Right now, he's just on the outside. Pretty soon he's going to be inside. Later on in a future teaching, you're going to see that he's, he's in the gates of the city. In other words, he's like one of the leaders in the city. So he went from outside to inside to becoming really an integrated part of it. And that's what compromise is. So you, um, you have to be really careful because compromise can be a slippery slope. Today, some of you might be too close to the line. And you're living your life saying, well, I'm a believer. I'm not, I would never cross that line. You know, like maybe Sodom, you know, with, with uh, Lot. He, he was pitching his tent near it, but he didn't want to go in it at first. But let me let, what, tell you what it look, can look like in your life or in my life. For example, maybe you're flirting with someone who's not your spouse. And you would say, well, I'd never have an affair with them. I'd never go physical with them. But just the act of flirting is getting close to the line. Another example might be where, you know, I would never cheat with my company and so forth, but you start to do little things to where you cut corners and you start to eh, maybe kind of like do things that are not always ethical, you know, and you'd be like, well, now you're almost like could be crossing the line. Or another case, sometimes people... You know, they, they might be going places or hanging with people that's making them very prone to temptations. And they've gotten so close to the line. When you get close to the line, it's real easy to cross it. Here's the thing. Sometimes people want to know, you know, almost like, how far can I go without sinning? That's the wrong question. You know, you should be like, I need to get as far away from that line as possible. And the way, best way I know to do that is be as close to God as possible. If you're as close to God as possible, you're going to be farther away from the line. And so don't, don't be, be careful how you look at that. Lot didn't have that mindset. He, he, he was becoming worldly. Perhaps he'd gotten materialistic. We know that 
Abram had a lot of material things, but it doesn't seem like it got to his head like maybe it did with Lot. So here's the next scripture on the screen is uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It says, we live by faith and not by sight. And what was Lot doing? He was living by sight and not by faith. Really, you see the faith of Abram and you see the the, uh, the, the sight of, of Lot. Like, oh, I'm going to pick the best place. That's where I'm going. So here's our next point is that faith makes decisions that please God. And you don't see that with Lot here. You see him making a, a bad decision of pitching his tent towards a city that was very evil. Had a, and it's going to cost him here in a little bit. So um, now we're going to finally see that Abram is going to obey all three of those things we started out with in Genesis 12.1. And uh, look what it says in verse 14. I did not pick up on this until this afternoon when I was reading through my notes one more time that from when God told Abram to leave, he didn't speak to him again until right here. And what happened right here? He had finally obeyed all three. He'd, he'd left his country. he left his family now, lots out of the picture, and he's finally to the place where he needed to be in the land of Canaan, the promised land. Because look at verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, see, the first time he's speaking, after Lot had parted from him. I think that's strategic. I don't think God was going to speak to him until that time. So God, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. So there's the first promise wanting to be fulfilled. This is the land I've called you to, the promised land. This land is yours. Look at the next part, verse 16. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. There's, there's the next promise. I'm, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to have a lot of offspring. Remember, how impossible that seemed at the time because they had no children. And his wife was barren. And at this time, he's at least 70, probably 77 years of age. He didn't leave the other town of Haran until he was 75. He stayed there five years. And then there was a time in Egypt and so forth. So here he is. He's getting this. God's speaking it to him again because he finally obeyed all three of those things. He says that, um, then verse 17, go walk through, uh, through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of uh, Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, one of the things I think is really kind of cool about uh, Abram is you'll see two things mentioned over and over in his life. I didn't notice it until I was studying this. Two words. Constantly you'll see the word tent, and constantly you'll see the word altar. He was constantly pitching his tent, moving his tent, and building altars. And I kind of was like meditating on that. Here's what I was picturing. Abram, the tent was kind of representing that he's just passing through. And wait till you get the last verse that I'm going to be showing you today. He's passing through. This is not his home. He's in a tent. It's like temporary. And the altar was that place of, of worship, a place of sacrifice, a place of, we already saw, calling out to the Lord. 
So it was like the tent represented his physical life here on earth and the altar representing his spiritual life. And so as you're going through the life of Abram, continually see those things mentioned because you're going to see them quite often. It just kind of jumped out at me like, why is that? And so the other thing I see here is that, you know, with God, as we're growing in our faith, we can't skip steps. Many times we want to skip steps. I know what God said, but... You know, I want to move on to this. God did not skip any steps with Abram, did he? I think it's very strategic that in verse 14 it says that the Lord spoke to him after Lot departed. Because that was the last of the three things. And I think that applies for us too. Maybe God has spoken to you something. And you haven't obeyed. And maybe God's just going to go silent until you have obeyed. He very can. Sometimes people are like, I don't hear God. I just feel like I'm at a a dry place in my relationship with God. Oftentimes, as pastors, we'll say, well, go back to the last time you did hear him. That might be a key thing. What did God say last? Is there something you're not doing? Are you wanting to skip a step, so to speak? Like, okay, God, I don't want to do that, so give me the next assignment. I don't think he operates that way. And so go back to what he's spoken before if if you're having trouble hearing him. So there we are. We've finished chapter 13. Let's move into 14. Now, in 14, we're going to skip the first uh, almost nine verses here, and I'm just going to paraphrase it because there's way too many very tough names, and I would really stumble trying to say all these names of these people, and I don't want to look foolish in front of all of you. Um, And so I am going to mention the one king um, who's kind of the ringleader against uh, uh, the the cities of, in the uh, Dead Sea Valley there, Sodom, Gomorrah, and so forth. And that's this guy named Kedor Laomer. See, even I have a chart up. Kedor Laomer. And he's from Persia. And he was, uh, for 12 years, ruling these cities, extracting tributes from them, getting, like, taxation money. And oftentimes, this is what kings would do. They would, uh, they would uh, come in, they would overthrow a government, but they keep kind of everything in place, but they would start to make the people pay them lots. And for 12 years, the cities of Sodom, Gomorrah, and the other cities around there, they would pay this, this guy sums of money. Well, in the 13th year, they decided, well, we're not going to pay him anymore. So he gets some buddies along, and they have four kings come down to, to Israel area after these five kings, four against five. And that's where we're going to pick it up at the very uh, end of verse 9, four kings against five, and the five were, you know, part of Sodom, Gomorrah, and so forth. Now, verse 10. Now, the valley of uh, Shedim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled into the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food Then they went away. They also carried away Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions. Look at this next part. Since he was living in Sodom. Well, we read not too long ago he pitched his tent, what? Near Sodom. Now we see he's in Sodom. And look at the consequence of it. When Sodom and Gomorrah were overthrown by this this king and, and these others, now he's being taken off. So this was part of that compromise. And so here, here's the next point for all of us is that faith avoids spiritual compromise. 
We have to be very careful because we live in this world that wants us to compromise. And the best way I can tell you that we don't compromise is staying true to the Word of God. If we can stay true to the Word of God, we won't compromise as a church and as our individual lives. As soon as we start to go with what our culture around us wants us to say and how we are to, you know, like, well, you don't, can't say that. You sound this way and you start to change your views. Many denominations, like old-time denominations, I'm not going to mention names, but you know, they've gone downhill. Why? Because they begin to compromise. They started to move away from Scripture. And as a result, the hand of God came off of it. Denominations at one time were, were thriving, were used by God. They've, they've become kind of like not that uh, impactful in the kingdom of God. And that might not be for every church in that denomination, but definitely in many of the churches in that denomination because they, they begin to compromise. I believe that our life is a series of tests. And there are tests that God is allowing for us to grow our faith. The problem is that when we run into one of these tests, if we begin to compromise, take the easy way out, uh, it's, it's like this. Partial obedience is still disobedience. I think Dave Barnes mentioned that last week. And so this is really what Abram started to do until he got all things taken care of. But we definitely see that Lot was, was doing that. So let's keep going. Verse 13. A man who escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now, I'll just stop there. This is the first time in Scripture that the word Hebrew is mentioned. Uh, and because we know later the Israelites are going to be called Hebrews, you know, their language is going to be Hebrew language and so forth, but this is the first time it's mentioned, mentioned in Scripture. And uh, it's really, the scholars believe it comes because the, I think it's the great-grandson of of uh, Shem, one of the three sons of Noah, was a guy named Eber, and they believe that the Hebrew came from his lineage of Eber to um, the Hebrews came out of that word Eber, and it has kind of a meaning of on the other side, those that came from the other side, and you remember where Abram came from, he came a long ways away over to the the land of Canaan, so they probably can, oh, those people that came from the other side, the other side of the Jordan River or whatever they were talking about, the other side of the, the Arabian Desert and so forth. So, uh, so verse 13, I'll repeat that. The man who escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol, and Aner, and all who were alli allied, allied with Abram. So there's some other people that were not Hebrews, they were not part of Abram's family, but they lived near him, okay? And they were friends. And when Abram heard that his relative, talking about Lot, had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Well, let's just stop there. If you ever wondered if Abram was very rich, this should show you how rich this guy really was. He had, he had his own army. He had th 318 men who had been born in his family as servants. He had his own army with him. And, and he's going to go after and try to get his nephew Lot back. So it just kind of shows you that he, ha he had a pretty big household. And, so, and it says in verse, they went as far as Dan. And Dan would have been on the very northern part of what today is the nation of Israel, 
when we go and tour Israel, uh, Dan is the furthest north side. If you go any further than Dan, you're in Lebanon. And so that's where they went. And it says, verse 15, during the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with all the women and the other people. Now, let's just stop there. This was, remember, he went after four kings and their armies with his 318 men. You know what it kind of reminds me a little bit of? Gideon. Remember how many guys Gideon had with him? 300. See, the odds really don't make any difference with God, do they? Some of you have gotten health reports before, like, well, you know, doctors only give me a 5% chance, and we can automatically, you know, assume the worst. You know, God, God's not limited by man's odds, okay? Don't, don't be, whatever, whatever man says in the situation, God has the last say in it, especially as we pray, as we trust God. So you see the faith. Now, look at this. This is a guy who kind of had been struggling with his faith. You remember, he didn't obey completely, but you're starting to see the growth in Abram now, aren't you? He, he goes after these four kings and their army with his men. Verse 17, after Abram returned from defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. Now think about this. The king of Sodom, he went and he went and hid. He went up and hid in hills till he knew it was all over. What kind of leader is this guy? You know? Now he's ready to come back because uh, you know, it looks like the, the enemy had been defeated. It kind of reminds me sometimes when there's kind of a coup in a country and so forth that the leader just kind of like gets on a private jet and just flies off somewhere. You know, people really thought that that was going to happen in Ukraine. That as soon as the Russians came in, the president was going to fly off and so forth. He, what did he do? No, I'm staying here. He has inspired his people, right? Zelensky has inspired his people as he stayed there. Can you imagine what it would have been like? And I know we have some Ukrainians here right now. Can you imagine what it would have been like if he would have taken off? But this, is, this shows you the, the kind of the, who the, the leader of Sodom was. He just took off. But now it gets into an interesting character we're going to spend a little time talking about. Verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram, said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high. Look at this. Don't miss this. Who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This was the beginning of giving a tithe. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, tithe, that's, that's Old Testament law. No, actually, this is about 500 years before the law was ever given. This was a principle of giving unto the Lord, and, and it was first started here with Abram. He gave a tenth. Now, here, here's the next point, that faith trusts that God will give us victory over our enemies. And Abram had to have that kind of faith. Otherwise, he wouldn't have go charging after uh, those four kings and their, and their army. Sodom, the king of Sodom sure didn't. He went hiding in the hills. But this Abram, he went after him. He had that faith. And for you and me, we know we have enemies, don't we? 
There are attacks that come against us. But this is where we let the Lord fight our battles. So we put our faith and trust that he can give us victory over our enemies. Now, that was the message that this, uh, this priest, Melchizedek, had. Now, who is this guy? Melchizedek, I think is how you really say it in, in Hebrew. Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a type of Jesus Christ. And I want us to look on the screen at some passages in the book of Hebrews. It's the only other place in Scripture that this Melchizedek is talked about is in the book of Hebrews. And I have some of the passage in here. We'll start in Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. It says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Remember the message I gave on uh, Easter? The, tail, the, the curtain has been ripped. You know, we, we have access because of Jesus Christ behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So all of a sudden, he's mentioned here. Now we go on to the next part is Hebrews 7. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham, returning after the defeat of the kings, we just read about that, and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, which means king of peace. So let's, let's take a little time and, and talk about that. Oh, yeah, actually, we have a little bit more, yeah. Without father or mother, this is where it gets a little weird about this guy. Go bring that scripture back up again. Without father or mother, he's talking about Melchizedek. Without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, and I underline this part because I think this is important, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now, there are people out there who believe this guy is really Jesus in the Old Testament. And I've flipped and flopped around. There's times where I think, well, this is a picture of Jesus. It is actually Jesus. But because of that last part of what we just read, it says he resembles the Son of God. I don't really think it's Jesus. Because I don't think that would have, it would have said there that he resembled uh, the Son of God. But I think what he is, is an, he's an, uh, a shadow of Jesus, our high priest. And many times what you see in the Old Testament are pictures of Jesus. Sometimes it's actually Jesus, pre-incarnate, you know. He, he met with uh, Abraham, and we'll read that later as we get into the book. There was a time, the, the captain of the Lord's armies, I really believe, is Jesus. So you'll see this picture of Jesus as a shadow, but then actually Jesus coming in the form of a person. So I think this is kind of an example of what Jesus is like in, the, in this area. So let's talk about it for a moment. And I want us to contrast him with the king of Sodom. King of Sodom means king of evil. Sodom was a place of notorious evil, corruption, of vice. But now look at Melchizedek. He's a type of Jesus, our high priest and king. Now this is an important thing for us to realize is that priests in the Old Testament were forbidden to be kings and kings were forbidden to be priests. You separated them out. They were not to be the same. Except there's two people in Scripture that were priests and kings. Melchizedek 
and Jesus. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's also our high priest. So it's kind of like drawing this correlation between these two. Also, we see that this order did not follow the order of the other priests in the Scripture that followed the Levites or the, the tribe of Levi or Aaron. This is a completely different line, and Jesus fell into this line. Remember, he came from the tribe of Judah. He didn't come through Levi. And so he had his, his ability to be that priest through a different line. And this Melchizedek is a one. We see also it's mentions in Hebrew that Melchizedek did not have a father, mother, mother, no genealogy, no beginning or end. Now, we don't know if that's actually true or if it's just that nobody knew what he, where he came from. Because that was always a big thing. They would always mention, well, he's the son of so-and-so, he's, so-and-so, he's from so-and-so. There, there's nothing else mentioned about him. So it either was that he d- truly just popped in on earth, or they just don't know where it was. But we know Jesus had no beginning, did he? he he's, he's, he's eternal. So he, again, another type of Jesus Christ. And then Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness. Yeah, fits Jesus pretty well, doesn't it? He's a king of righteousness. It says he's a king of Salem. And that is, um, he's a king of peace. He's, remember, he's a prince of peace. Now, this Salem, later, that town actually has a name change. You all know what the name change is? Jerusalem. Jerusalem has the name Salem in it, and then that's where the, the beginning of Jerusalem was from, from Salem. Also, I think it's really cool that he brings out two things. After Abram came back from defeating the enemy, what's he do? Brings out bread and wine. Does that bring any correlation to us? I mean, can it get any clearer? A picture of communion? A picture of the Passover, of the Lord, you know, the Lord's Supper? And so it's another correlation. You see, also, it said that Abram gave a tenth to him. And in Scripture, the only time you see people giving a tenth, giving a tithe, is giving it to the church, giving it to the, the temple, you know, the priest for the work of the Lord. And so it was like Abram showing that type of uh, worship or uh, relationship. And the other thing, too, is you see that uh, Melchizedek blessed Abram, just like Jesus blesses us. And you always have a blessing from the greater to the lesser. And so it's just another picture. Well, so you can make your own minds up, as Dave Barnes likes to say. <laughs> He's famous for that line. You make your own minds up. Is this really Jesus in the Old Testament, or is this a type of Jesus? So I've gone back and forth. Right now, currently, I'm at, it's a type. But verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people. And keep the goods for yourself. So right there, let's just stop. Let's look at the contrast. He's more of a, you know, he's more of a, like, he, he's like after the souls. You know, he's wanting the people and so forth. And, and uh, I love the response of Abram here in verse 22. It says, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth. First of all, that should show you what his relationship with God was like. He was God most high. He understood that he was the creator of heaven and earth. Verse 23, says, I will accept nothing from belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of sandals, so that you will 
never be able to say, I made Abram rich. Isn't that credible? Abram had that kind of faith to say, I'm not going to take anything from this evil guy. I'm not going to compromise myself with somebody who's evil. You think about our day and age that we live in and all the different things that's done that's kind of like where money's given, but then there's favors that are in return, right? Where you, 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 know, you buy certain things. You think about the, the whole lobbying effort and, and how it's corrupted politics and so forth. Donations giving, but now I expect favors in return. Am I right? Abram said, no, I'm not having any part of it. I want to stay clear of it. I'm not going to allow you to ever say, have a, a foothold into my life. Verse 24, I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Enner, Askel, and Mamre. Let them have their shares. Remember, they weren't part of his family. So he said, if they want to take stuff, that's fine because they're not a part of my family. So here's our last point for tonight. Faith depends on God for our future and this understanding that he will meet all of our needs. Are you right? Are you believe that? You don't know what the future holds, do you? You watch the news and you hear kind of all this bad stuff. You should be able to watch the news saying, that might be what the news is saying, but my God has the last word, doesn't he? You know what? I'm perfect at peace. I'm at rest because God is in control of my future. And I, I like this verse from Philippians 4, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Doesn't say all your wants. Okay? Make, make sure. This, this is not a prosperity verse, okay? This is your needs. What are your needs? He can meet them. They're found in Jesus Christ. And as we get ready to wrap up the sermon, I, I have this last verse from Hebrews 11. Remember, Hebrews 11 is the, the hall of faith with all these people listed and Abraham's, men, Abraham's mentioned in there. But let's go to this and let's look at it. It says, by faith, and that's what we've been talking about all night long, about, and we're going to get more as we go through the book of Genesis with Abram's life. We're going to hear a lot about his faith. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. Remember I told you, he's always going to be coming up about tents. As did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. And I love this last verse. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's what we're going to talk about this weekend. Heaven. What was, what was Abraham looking for? It wasn't just the, the physical land. This is why he was going to that altar. This is why he was building that, that type of faith and relationship with God. He was seen beyond the earth into the next one that God was building. He had a foundation. He had this the city that was not an earthly city, but one that God would build. Do you have that type of hope? Do you have that type of faith? Do you have the tent mentality, so to speak, related to this earth? We're passing through. This is not our home. Don't try to like squeeze every bit of last 
peace out of this earth as if, as if this is the only thing you're ever going to have. That's how the unbelievers think of this earth. We have a hope beyond this, just like Abram had. We know where we're going. We have that full assurance. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the, as we studied Abraham tonight, or Abram. Lord, we're challenged by his faith as we see it growing from a time when it was just starting out and he wasn't fully obedient to where he's chasing kings and, and routing enemies with your help. Lord, we want to have that kind of faith in our life. Help us not to be people of compromise. Help us to trust you with our future. Help us to be givers, not just takers. To be selfish, that we can to, to not get caught up into trying to get everything out of this world. For we know where we're heading. We're heading to that city that you have built, the foundations that you have laid, that you're the builder, you're the architect. We look forward to that, Lord. And I pray if there's anyone here listening to this message who have not yet given their life to you, they're still living for themselves. They're still coming up empty. They're still lonely. They know there's something that they're missing. Lord, help them to see that the answer is found in a relationship with you by putting their faith in Jesus Christ, that he is our solution. He's forgiven us of our sins. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Develop our faith now. Help us to become more like you. Whatever we face moving forward, whatever news we might get, Help us to see that nothing's too difficult for you. You have the last word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before I dismiss you, if you're here and you don't have that relationship with God yet, you've fallen away, you've backslidden, you're confused, you don't know what you believe, just come see me at the end of the service. Love to pray with you, love to encourage you, help you get on the right track. Um, and, and I just know God loves you so much. He doesn't want you to stay in that state. He wants to be able to pour your blessing out. Maybe you're living a life of compromise like Lot was. Let me tell you, the compromise will lead you in places you don't want to go. And the consequences are things you don't want to face. But you can make that change today. You could, sort of speak, move out of Sodom back into the promised land that God has for you through Jesus. Amen? God bless you. Have a great rest of your week.